So with that in mind, I want to say what we're, what we're doing is, is that we're doing, our ser- we're doing our series still that's on Empowered, and we'll be doing this for another year or so. Uh, but there are many series that go along with it. But anyway, we're doing Empowered, and Empowered, for those who don't know, is real simple. We're looking at how Jesus raised up the disciples because he's going to do the same thing with you and I. That's what we're doing. We're literally letting him train us up the exact same way he trained up the disciples, even unto the point that in the end, you know how to raise up other people. So this, is a, this isn't just about doing laying hands on somebody and having a miracle or something like that. This is really about an entirely different way of living. In fact, if you remember where we were when we left off of Empowered, which is about halfway through the summer, uh, where we were was this. We were looking, well, it wasn't, anyway, whatever. But we, what we did is we got to the end of what I called the college stage. And the college stage of Luke is where you're learning something. He's training you up in something, okay? So what is college about, right? It's kind of come, sit in your chair, get the information in, regurgitate it for a test. Did you know it? Did you learn it, right? That's pretty much what college is. Now, pretty much already that's kind of going away because people are learning that you don't learn by just sitting and listening. That's, right? You, that, people don't really learn very well. Like you, you hear a great sermon and then you're at lunch and you have a hard time remembering what it is. Right? And that's an hour later. So we're learning something, which is Jesus is now about to take them into a master's level. He sent them out. That was a sort of culminating project of college. They went out, they did things, they came back, and they were on fire. Now they're really ready for the next level. And the next level is master's. And the cool thing about master's is it's totally a mixture of learning, class, right? There's still books and learning and reading and tests and so on. But then there's also a whole lot of you doing it yourself. You researching it, you discovering what it really is, you getting good at it. So there's this learning and doing that are together, and the master's level learning is the best one of all, I think. I love the doctoral level too, but the master's level, you really get a lot of learning in, and you get to do the do. Now, I'm really excited because I think what God's going to do is is he's going to start moving through some people in some ways that are quite surprising. That, well, he will be doing miracles, signs, wonders. He'll be doing things that are, that are extraordinary. Now, always remember, he'll be doing it in a way that is normal and balanced and not weird. Because remember, we're looking at Luke for how Jesus raised up disciples. But we're also looking at Corinthians to see how we then took it to a weird place. And so Corinthians becomes our corrective on how to actually do these things properly, Right? So when I say that, the reason why I do is because I know that there's certain people in here, when I say, I think God's going to start doing things through people that are really going to have them going like the disciples did, wow. And I think there's a lot of people in here that when they hear that, they go, wow, this is exciting. I'm really in on that. But I have to say there's a significant percentage of people that are sitting there going, uh, (laughs) I'm not so sure about that. Is that really what I want? I'm a little scared. I'm a little, this is not necessarily what I want. Always remember something about God. If you participate in the learning process that he brings, then it's one step, one very doable step, one very natural, ordinary. How do you climb a tall mountain? One step at a time. And sometimes you're getting into a tricky ice field or you're getting into some technical climbing or something, and you've got to get the principles down or you're going to be in trouble, right? But the point is it's still one thing at a time. And then when you learn it, it becomes part of you. 
And then you're ready for the next one. Now watch, what that means is if you're not participating in the journey, if you're not participating in the process, then when he asks you to do something that you should be ready for and you had an opportunity to be ready for, you're not ready. Now, by the way, if you're just coming in, it's okay, God will catch you up. But you see what's happening? He's taking us all on a journey. This is very much the thought I want you to have today. He's taking this church on a path, on purpose, and he's step by very reasonable, very natural, very real step. He's taking us to a place that we've never even imagined. We've heard about, we see about, but it is incredible, and it is not frightening. It is not weird. It is, it is it's better. It's what your heart has been built for and so longs for. The reason why you're here at a church like this that's really going after these deeper things and the fullness of God, okay? So with that in mind, now by the way, at some point in time, Jesus in, in Luke goes away and it becomes Acts, which is the doctoral program, right? That's where you are now doing it and you're raising up others to be able to do it. You're taking them through the same discipleship that you are taken through, right? Okay, so that's where we are and a cool thing has been going on. And that is, as we've been in this now for a year, I think we started it last fall, didn't we? Can't remember. It might have been longer than that. Maybe longer than that. A year and a half. But we're still only not even halfway through the book. And it'll take us longer. But about a year ago, something really extraordinary started happening. I've mentioned it before. And that was, even though I'm only preaching about 60% of the time, if you just add it up and look at it, you'll see I'm only preaching. I I'm, I'm, was trying to get down to about that level, and I've gotten there. And there's people from the congregation that are now stepping up and giving these sermons. But look at what's happening. Here's what's not happening. I'm not going to somebody and saying, here's where I am and I need you to talk about this. Everybody who's ever preached knows something. Here's what I do. Content is yours. I don't mess with content. Content is yours. I'll help you figure out what the content is. I'll help you draw it out. And I'll help you put it in a way that will communicate well. But content is you. you get to, if I felt like you were the one to preach, you're the one that gets to preach. And you preach what you want to preach. But here's what's been happening for the last year. Literally, if you look at it, you'll see three and four week series happening every single time. There's been, hard, there's been no one-offs. There's been no somebody preaching about something that's totally outside of whatever it is we were doing. These things have been completely in line as God will take a concept and he'll work the concept. It's been extraordinary to see. And right now we're heading into a mini-series inside of Empowered, which is to do with essentials. Now, some of you will know essentials by the term values because that's how we used to talk about it. And, and that's this, this. This Sunday church, small group serving, devotionals, threefolds, outreach. And what we did was is that we sat around years ago and we were trying to figure out how to disciple people better. And we just looked at a bunch of people who had given their lives to God in a remarkable way and we asked them, What's your life look like? What do you do? What are the essential things that you do that keep your life growing in him? Right? What are the essentials? And we came up with these six values, and it was really nice because literally, literally two years after that, we came across a study that Willow Creek had done and spent $2 million with Gallup to do, ultimately. And they came up with these six. They said, these are the things, if you're a self-feeder, if you're really just being discipled, if you're really getting it in the Lord, these are the six things that you'll be doing. They just are part of it. It doesn't mean you do those six things and you get there, but you can. It just means that when you're being discipled by him, these things, it's not two or three of them. It's all of them working together because all of them have a different role. 
Now, I want you to look at the graphic up here because I think a lot of people don't know what the graphic actually means on this. And we're going into a series on each one of these. Although, it's, I want to say something, and this is what's really cool. We set up in April the rollout of these six values. It doesn't go in order. It goes in a certain order because of announcements for certain things that we need to do. And we set this up to do it. And I said, when we get there, we're probably doing it as an announcement because I doubt that the sermons are going to line up. Well, we got close to where we were, and I looked at what, what, what there was, and the order that we had figured we should roll them out in was exactly what the next series of sermons is. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? I looked at the book, and I just went, oh, my gosh. Every week, this is the most reach of all, and you'll see it's a total fit, but not in the end. But the other ones are just obvious fits for this, and then this, and then this, and then this, and then this. See? So what happens is, is I want you to look at this and just see Sunday church, there's kind of like a fence. There's three things that go this way, and then there's three things that go this way. And on the slats going across, Sunday church leads into, that's why the graphic has some motion in it, leads into small groups, leads into serving. And then there's another layer. And you can kind of see that the other layer is supposed to be underneath the one. So devotionals are sort of like Sunday church, but in a deeper, more intimate way. Small threefolds are small groups in a deeper way. Serving outreaches in a deeper, more fundamental way. See, that's what serving's really all about. You see that? So they work that way, but then you understand what the drops are. See, when we do Sunday church and devotionals, we don't look at that as being a uh, horizontal exercise. We look at it as being a vertical. What do we do when we come to church? We worship God. Then we do fellowship, which is horizontal, but worship is vertical. And then we hear, hopefully, a prophetic word from the Lord. Right? As he's taking us on a journey. And that is God dropping something into our lives and us responding back vertically. That's that drop. That's what it means. And then you see what happens is each person having God drop something in their life, it begins to ripple out. And so ripples are threefolds, small groups and threefolds, which is this way of people starting to connect with each other and these things that God is doing now. In a small group where it has a certain dynamic that's just wonderful, but then in threefolds, which is that place where we're raising each other's arms, right? Threefolds real simply. Oh, by the way, would you hand me the brochure? I should be showing this to you off of this really cool brochure that uh, Johanna Perales just did for us. Is it in there? No, it's, it should be a folded up. It's this one right here. This one right here. Okay? So if you want to know what any of these are, just take this brochure out and you'll see. See, here's the first three going across, essentials. And then you turn it over and you get the next three. See it? So hopefully this will help you understand. And there's just a brief little description about what each one of them are. But you see what we're doing with the graphic is, is that we're having ripples overlap, which is making this more intimate, close connection with each other, right? But at some point, a whole lot of ripples coming on top of each other, start getting bigger and bigger and bigger to where they start making a huge difference and they become this great big powerful wave that is crashing into the shore and changing the shoreline. It's changing the world. See what the graphic's trying to say? You start with a vertical relationship with God. You start getting connected with people. It adds up into something that crashes on the shore and changes the world. See it? So that's what that's supposed to be. All right? I hope you like that. Now, that's where we're headed, and today what we're going to be doing is Sunday church. And Sunday church is something that if you've been here for three or four years, you know that, well, longer than that now, about five or six years, 
that God really told us that, that Sunday church was not working. It was not discipling people like it needed to. And that we needed to be open to whatever he was going to lead us to do to change it. So we have been changing it dramatically. That's why we have people from the congregation preach. That's why we've been having discussions. There's this sort of synagogue model that we're working off of. And here's what a synagogue is. If, if you're a Jewish person and you live in a town and there's only, there has to be 12, but there's at least 12 families, what they do is, you don't, you don't go to like this synagogue or that synagogue. You do that nowadays because of how bifurcated the whole world is. But the original idea behind a synagogue was the people of that community would come together and form a community. They wouldn't form a church in the way we think of it, meaning a staff and a building and a sermon and a Sunday morning. What they would build is a community. Now think about it. Jesus showed us what a synagogue looked like when he came down from the mountain from being tempted. Remember what he did? There was some worship in it, and that's not in Luke or any of the stories, but there was songs that they played, and we know that because we see them quoted and we know from other sources that they would definitely sing a song or two, right? Hymns kind of deal, whatever. And then what they would do is if somebody would pick up the scroll, the Bible, they would read from the section of the scroll that was that for that week when Jesus read, the Lord, is, the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He wasn't just picking it up and picking, he wasn't just picking a spot out of the Bible. That's where they were that week in their going through the Bible. And he read it, and then he expounded upon it. Now, he did a very short sermon, unlike some people that I know. But what he did was is that he said, real simply, he said, today this is fulfilled. The Lord has anointed me to preach and to do these miracles and to do these things. Now, then what happened next? Do you remember? Everybody started talking about it because that's what a synagogue does. A synagogue was a presentation of the gospel, of the word, of God's word, some expounding upon it, and then the community would interact with it. They would talk about it. They would figure out what it means. What are we supposed to do about it? How are we supposed to do this? What does that actually mean? What about this? What about that? And the community would discuss it. Do you remember at times where Paul has to say, you know, unfortunately, I'm not going to go into that. But the point is, is we have several instances where there's reference being made to that in a church service, it wasn't the, even this setup stage and people sitting. It was a, it was a setup where it was just, it was community. It was discussion. People would come together and talk about what this was. So they were doing master's level. See, they weren't just learning, sitting learning passively and then having to regurgitate. They were already at the place where they were learning, but they were also applying right there together as a community. Now look what we've been doing. We've been doing that. Well, today, as we look at what Sunday church is really supposed to be, and by the way, we call it Sunday church for a reason. Because if we just called it church, we would continue to work the stereotype of that word, which means Sunday morning. And we really want to make it clear, church is not Sunday morning. Church is you guys together doing what God tells us to do, learning from him, growing in him, doing the journey. That's what church is. Church is 24-7, the fullness of what happens. See it? So we say Sunday church, and you could put in Sunday morning church, but it would just kind of wreck the whole. You see that? It wouldn't work, okay? We can't put that many words on there. So when you hear Sunday church, think of Sunday service, okay? All right. Now, here's what I want to say. I've been working on this for five or six years. I've been working on this for 30 years. What's church supposed to be? This week, yet again, <laughs> the Lord takes another layer and peels back, and he says, look at this. 
And I went, wow. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> let me be really clear about this. You know the statistics are really bad in church right now. Attendance is, is overall attendance is just falling, and, you know, it's very bad. And it's every, every age group, but particularly the millennials, is just out of the church. And so, and, and we're going to talk about that in a second, but I want to say something. I would go to church because of what I get out of it. I would still go to church, but I understand why people don't go. I think we're doing something that God didn't intend, and I think it's just boring as heck. And I just think it's, it's, it's not, nobody's really learning. It feels like we're getting some good message, and you feel kind of good, and, you know, and there is some benefit in that, and that's why I think you should still go to church even if it is boring. But, but I have to say, I think what God wants to turn it into is unbelievable. <laughs> I think it's the kind of thing where you would spring out of bed. You'd be going on Monday. You'd be going, man, six more days? That's too long. I can't wait to be there because of what God's doing. That's where we're headed today. Who's our, who's our person? Roger Maddox? Wow, you really couldn't have found a better person. Roger Maddox is one of our elders. Roger Maddox is... Oh, Roger Miller. Well, Roger Miller, it's nice to see you back. <laughs> okay. Roger Miller. I was wondering, you were working sound. Hey, this is uh, Roger Miller. Welcome back. Uh, was it a good summer? Did, was the writing good and the ministry good? Well, we're still doing it, and this is the, okay. probably won't see me until the middle of October. All right. All right. That's good. Hey, this guy ministers. This guy is out on the road doing all kinds of stuff. I love what you do. Keep doing it. Okay? So pray for the sermon. Pray for another church. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and you've heard the words on Kurt's heart this morning on how he's going to peel back the layers of Sunday church. Father, we just thank you so much for giving him the enlightenment and the eyes and ears and heart to hear. Father, we thank you for the journey that you're Amen. leading Lake Sam on. Amen. I just see the growth every time I come on Sunday morning, talk to people during the week who fellowship at Lake Sam that the growth is phenomenal, Father. Amen. And so now that we ask your blessing upon the sermon this morning, we just ask you for those appointments that we can have during the week, the divine appointments that you give us, that we can have eyes and ears to hear and see them coming and be able to share your word. So... Thank you so much, and I ask your blessing upon the Seabwing, Michigan Assembly of God Church. Be with them and guide and direct everything that they do and say also. Amen. And when we see what happens, we'll give you all the thanks and all the praise. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. By the way, they do their ministry on the back of a Harley. And I got to tell you, I want you to start thinking about ministry like that. What do you like? God's calling you to that. Okay, I'm not saying there's not hard and challenge and all that kind of stuff, right? There's all kinds of moments that are difficult. And so it's not about ease. It's not about just pleasure. But I want to tell you, God made you a certain way to like certain things. And you're going to find ministry in those things as you go into them as led by him. Right? As opposed to pursuing just your flesh. And you guys do it beautifully. So, now, the place where we are in Luke is this right here. When Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, heard about everything Jesus was doing, he was puzzled. Some were saying John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. Now remember, 
This is the guy who arrested John the Baptist because he was insurrection and against Rome. And, and Herod's actually a king. He's not directly under Rome, but he's still under Rome because everybody's under Rome because Rome is Rome, right? But the bottom line is, is that Herod is a guy who, remember, was talking to John all the time. That's why when the wife comes along and says, I want his head, because John was saying, you know, it's not okay for you to marry your sister, basically, or sister-in-law. You know, you killed the husband and now you get the, the wife. This is not cool, Herod. But the thing was, is Herod liked talking to him. So think about what that means. That means that there was something in Herod that was, wanted to talk to him. It wasn't like he just put him in the dungeon and then cut his head off. He really didn't want to cut his head off. His daughter did a sexual dance, and that got him all excited, which is its own stinking problem, but bottom line. Okay? So the point is, is that, is that John the Baptist does this. I mean, this is Herod. This, you, you see the kind of person that he is. Okay? Now, others thought Jesus was Elijah, one of the other prophets of the dead, but he's saying, you know, some are saying that it's like John may be risen again. And that's a concern because he knew something was going on when he was talking with John, right? And so I beheaded John, Herod said. So who is this about whom I hear such stories? Is it maybe him risen again? Is it something else? I thought I put this insurrection down and it seems to be growing. These people that are talking about repent and get right with God and God's important and all this. You see what I'm saying? He's not just, he's not just trying to check it out for political reasons. He's got something going on in himself. As it says, and we'll come back to, he kept trying to see him. Now again, just to understand who Herod is, Herod's a king. Okay? When you look at this map and you look at the four different colors here, that's, that was, all of that territory was Herod the Great, the one that was in power when Jesus was born, who killed the babies right? But what happened is when he dies, he splits it up amongst four sons, and it's a tetrarchy. But what happens is, is Antipas, you see him right there in that sort of the, the lighter purple? Philip's up there, and right, all right? So here's, yeah, Antipas, I think. Anyway, uh, somehow I got that wrong in my head. If I'm mispronouncing it, I apologize. But anyway, so Antipas is doing this. So the point is, is he's, this is a king. Now, when it says... A king is trying to see you. What are you supposed to do? Go. <laughs> right? I mean, you're supposed to go. This is what it's supposed to look like. Can you come up? Yeah, come on up. Okay? I should have asked you beforehand, and I apologize. I forgot. Okay, so excuse me. All right. Now, who are you? Son. No, yeah, but your name. DeAndre. This is DeAndre, okay? Now, this is, a, this is a strapping, good young man, right? Now, let's say, I, I like hitting young men. I don't know why. They're just <laughs> brothers, right? Okay. What's that? He's 12, and he's taller than me. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> How you doing? All right. Now, let's just say at 13, age of accountability, God puts a call on this young man's life, and he's now going to be a pastor. And let's say he gets to 20 or something like that, 21, 22, and he starts a church. Now, this church starts doing really well. God shows up, right? God is honoring it. Things are happening. Things are changing. Everything's going pretty well. And let's say that it's going so well that the President of the United States, who has a real yearning, not just a political thing about we've got to get some Christian in here, but a real thing that's going on inside of him, he hears about this, and he calls him up, and he says, hey, come. I'll send Air Force One. Come. Right? Now understand something. There's two things at play when that happens. The first one is the natural human thing, right? Ego. The President of the United States just asks you to come. It doesn't matter if you like him or not. The bottom line is when the President asks for you, it's a big stinking deal. 
right? And your ego from you, and it can be a major, major problem. But let's just do something. This is such an outstanding young man. He has no ego. <laughs> you do not get to laugh at that. You do not, no. <laughs> now, I want to I do something here, okay? Let's just say his intent is nothing but pure. It's not coming from ego. Here's what the deal is. He just really wants people to get saved. He really wants them to come to know Jesus. He really wants to, them to be discipled. He really wants them to grow in God. That's what he really has at the down deep in his heart. And so what he does is, when he looks at this opportunity to go with the president, what does he say? If he really wants people to get saved, what does he say according to our natural way of thinking? Of course. Why not? You get to, you get to be with the president. Is that going to increase his sphere of influence, as we would call it? And let's, we took the ego out. So all he's trying to do is get more people. And if the president calls on him, do you think other people are going to check out what he has to say if the president flies him there, right? Don't you think? So just, in, just for all of the good reasons, take out all the bad ones, for all the good reasons, when the president calls, when the king calls, you go. It's going to make a difference. It's going to increase your sphere of influence. People are going to hear about this. They're going to care. You're going to be able to reach more people for God, right? And you, may you, okay? Thank you. Love you, brother. Thank you, okay? Now, what we want to do is we want to contrast all of that with what Jesus did, or more accurately, didn't do. Because what didn't he do? There's no indication he made any efforts to respond to this in any way, shape, or form. In fact, the, only, the next time that they'll meet will be at the very end of Jesus' life when he's been arrested. He's going to be crucified shortly. He's given to Pilate, and then Pilate tries to pawn him off on Herod to make the tough decision. And Herod, you know, comes back, and we'll see it in a second. But, but do you understand? Now, that doesn't make any sense to me. I have to ask the question, why didn't Jesus respond to the king who wanted to see him. When we see it in 23, it's going to say Herod had been wanting to see him and meet him all this time. Why didn't he respond? Why? Is it because he's afraid that he's going to kill him? Jesus knows his hour, right? He knows his crucifixion. That's how he's going to die and so on. It's not about that. Maybe, maybe there's another dynamic in here that will actually get us kind of close. Think about this for a second. Who's the greater and who's the lesser in this situation? I mean, the king is greater than, you know, Jesus is Jesus, son of a carpenter, right? Doesn't even have a dad at that point. This is his kingdom. This is Herod's kingdom. Jesus' kingdom is like that. No, nah, that's not actually true. Here's what Jesus' kingdom is like, that. The whole universe. Wow, who's the greater and who's the lesser now all of a sudden? Was Jesus pulling a power play? You know, I'm greater than you are, you should come to me. I don't think so. Why? Because Jesus was the kind of person that humbled himself. He emptied himself of his godly attributes that he might go and reach people. Now, he did know what was in them. But I think we have to look elsewhere if we're really going to understand why he didn't go. And I think the elsewhere comes out of this. Eric Lee, you will love this one. Several other people in here too. My catch if you're here. This is actually a 3D image of the universe that we know now, of right now, from the Hubble and so on. This is an actual picture put into 3D in the whole nine yards. This is as close as we could tell. This is a picture of the universe, and it's expanding and so on. Okay? That's a cool thing, isn't it? Now, now, that's, 
You understand that, that the Milky Way is like a blip on a blip on a blip on that. Like you could not possibly see the Milky Way on that. It'd be nothing but a small, small, small little dot. We're not a particularly big galaxy, right? The galaxy or system, I don't know how, how you talk about it. But anyway, the point is, is we're not a big, and then, the, and then, you know, in the Milky Way galaxy, you realize that there's our solar system, and then we're this little rock. When you take the Milky Way galaxy, we're a blip on a blip on a blip on a blip on a blip in the Milky Way galaxy, right? So we don't even, there's no way you could ever see us on this. You could magnify it billions of times, and then you could start to see us, right? But, but the point is, that's big, but there's something bigger. What's bigger? The universe or the one who made it? We, from the inside, are seeing our universe. God can stand outside of our universe and see it all. Who's bigger? What's bigger? The creator or the created? See? Now what that means is, is that means that there's two realities. And we now know this. I mean, the physics of the universe is proving to us that there's other dimensions. There's still a lot of controversy about how you work all that out. String theory was popular. It's not anymore. But now there's planes, and there's all kinds of things that they're doing. But here's what they do know. When you add other dimensions to the universe, you start to understand it. So the, the scientists themselves are saying there's other dimensions. Now, what has a Christian been saying forever? That there's another dimension, a spiritual dimension. A kingdom of God, so to speak. And for, the, for roughly equivalency, we're going to call this other dimension... The spiritual dimension, we're going to call it the kingdom of God. It's not exactly that way, but just to help us out, right? And then we're going to call all of creation this. We're going to call that the world, which actually goes back down to the globe, world, but, but you get the point. In other words, there's the physical creation, and then there's the spiritual thing that's greater than it. And by the way, it doesn't just stand outside of it. The clockmaker who put it in motion is waiting to see what happens. Jesus in the spiritual realm is absolutely infused. Jesus talks about the spirit of the kingdom of God, and he says it's at hand. What does that mean? Well, take your hand and put it up like this in front of your face. Do this, would you? Put it up in front of your face and turn it sideways. Now, shrink the hand so impossibly small that it has no width whatsoever. It has no width. You, you can't shrink your hands. I don't see anybody shrinking their hands. Okay. Now, if it was like this, can you see anything? Even though it's right there, can you see it if it's got no dimension? No width, excuse me? But what happens when it goes like this? Now you see it. See that? When Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, this is what he's talking about. He's talking about there's this kingdom that you cannot see, and here's how he describes it. It's like the wind. You can't take a picture of the wind. You can take a picture of what the wind does. You can see the effects of it, but the wind itself... You don't know where it's coming from or where it's going to. See it? So there's the spiritual realm that is all around and is blowing through and having a dramatic effect, but we can't touch, smell, taste, that, but we can see its effect so we know it's there. See? Now, so if there's a kingdom of, the, of God, the spiritual realm, and there's the physical realm, the world, the kingdom of the world, Here's the problem. When God originally made the kingdom of the world, the physical realm, he gave us dominion over it. So the kingdom of God was to be totally lined up with the kingdom of the physicality. It was to be consistent and harmonious, the garden. 
right? But what happened? We gave it away. We gave our dominion away to another. And when we did that, what happened was, now there's a total tension between the creation and the creator, between the spiritual realm, the kingdom of God, the things of God, and the things of the world are at odds with it. In fact, the way the scripture says it is, the creation was subjected to futility. See, it was made perfect. But he gave us free will, and when we took our free will, we put corruption into it, death. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. God let the whole of creation go in, because see, he could have kept it out and just had us. But he gave us dominion over it because he wanted the, the, real, the physical world to be an object lesson for us in hope that the creation itself would be set free from the bondage of corruption into the glorious freedom of God's children. See that? In fact, it says it another way. Paul does, God does through Paul. For those who live according to the flesh, the world, think about things of the flesh, the world. But those who live according to the Spirit, the kingdom of God, about the Spirit, the kingdom of God. For the mindset of the flesh, the world, is death. But the mindset of the Spirit of God is life and peace. In fact, he says it at enmity with each other. You see it? And so you can put your mind on the physical world, the world, the things of the world, the way it works, how it thinks, the, 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 the things that make sense to it. Or you can put them on the kingdom of God, which is quite at odds with the kingdom of the world. Now let me show you an example of where these two things get kinked. Where you see something that should have been totally natural for us. But because of our fallen nature, it's completely unnatural to us now. In Acts, the very beginning of the Christian church, they do something which is extraordinary. All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Nobody told them they had to do that. They weren't under compulsion. If you become a Christian, you have to sell everything you've got. Even Ananias and Sapphira, who lied about what they'd given, what Peter said to him from God was, is, it was all yours and you could have kept it. No problem. Don't come in here and lie about it, that you gave us all when, in fact, you've held some back. Now, just think about that for a second. Is there anybody in here who could say, well, I guess if you have nothing, it'd be easy, but let's say you have something. Can you just sell it, give it away, so that no one has any need in this community? Could you do that? I mean, can we just be real? <laughs> can we actually just be honest and not fake Christianity? Fake Christianity doesn't survive. Real Christianity tells me that I got to know who I am. And when I look at that, even today as a Christian, I look at that and I say, that was extraordinary. That is something that's totally different than what the natural mind wants to do. That is something that's totally different than what I want to do. That means I must have quite a bit of that natural mind still left in me. <laughs> you see it? They all met together. They sold their property. They shared with everybody that had need. Now here's what the result of that was. All kinds of things were happening. Miracles were happening. The, you know, Ananias and Sapphira thing that happened. Extraordinary things. Now watch this. The people who didn't know Christ, who hadn't been changed into his image and given a new nature so that they started to understand this stuff, no one dared join those Christians, even though all the people had high regard for them. Now, now I've said this before, but let me just briefly capture it again. Understand something. If what Christianity, if 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 people walked in here and what we were doing was shaking and falling out and barking like dogs and clucking like chickens, then we'd be violating 
we'd be violating Corinthians, right? Who said, if people who don't know the word walk in and look at what you're doing and they say, well, you're cray cray. <laughs> I wasn't looking at you for any reason whatsoever. I was looking at the chair. <laughs> you're cray cray, right? You're crazy. Okay? Now, if people walked in and said that, and then they, and God says, they're right to leave you. Because that's not what this is about. Here's what this is about. You doing something that's so extraordinary that in their most noble nature, they know that they should do that too. But they just can't. And that's what's being talked about right there. That's what the church is supposed to look like. What's supposed to be happening in and amongst us is things that are so extraordinary that when the world looks at it, they say, that is wonderful that you can do it. VJ, I don't know if you guys know VJ yet. I don't. Sometimes I worry about whether or not we're really incorporating everybody who God is bringing in. But VJ is an extraordinary human being. Uh, there's such depth in this man. It's, it's amazing. And, and I could literally go right down in Hayden. And I, there's so many people in here that are. But VJ is an extraordinary guy. And I, I want you to get to know him and get to know how extraordinary he is. Because you'll start seeing things of God that are remarkable. But I want us to become a body where everybody, not for show reasons, but because God has led us, we're starting to live more and more of the kingdom that we're actually of instead of the one that we're still in. Because when we were born again, we're now of the kingdom of God. That's in our nature. We see it. When we hear about people giving things away and doing this, we say that's a good thing. And we don't say it's crazy. We say, I wish I could do it. I wish I was at that place in my own life. Do you see that? So that's what's supposed to be going on in church. That's what it's supposed to look like, right? Which is why when Jesus doesn't show up and talk to Herod, watch this. Herod was very glad to see Jesus. For a long time, he'd wanted to see him because he'd heard about him and was hoping to see some miracle performed by him. So he kept asking him questions. But Jesus did not answer. Now, we still haven't answered the question, have we? We've talked about some stuff, but we still haven't answered the question. And here's, here's, the, here's the answer to the question as best I can give it to you right now. You may have better revelation. If you can, let me know. We'll have you preach. But here's, here's as best I got. What Jesus said, being of the kingdom of God and only doing the things that God wanted him to do from the kingdom of God, Jesus did not think the way the world thinks. Here's what he did instead. I don't speak on my own authority, even to someone like the king. The father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know his commands lead to eternal life, so I just do what he tells me to say. That's all I say. What he tells me to say, that's what I say. And here's what was happening. Herod was asking questions, and God wasn't giving him anything to say. So what did he do? He didn't say anything. In fact, the way that he says it in another place is Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. Wait a minute, he's God. Yes, but he emptied himself of that, that he might live as you and I. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son does. The father loves the son. Does he love you? Last week, listen to it. The Father loves the Son, and He loves us, and He shows us everything He's doing. In fact, the Father will show us how to do even greater works than just healings. Then you will truly be astonished. Then you will see the kingdom of God. What He's trying to do, now watch, watch. 
when you only do the kingdom of God stuff, when that's what you're about, when that's what you do and only, and I'm not saying that you have to become a monk and do absolutely nothing and just sit in your room until God tells you to do something and go out. I'm saying live your life in the best way that you can and know that God is always talking to you. In your workplace, the reason why he put you in a job is because there's people in that job that will not come to church. And so he put a secret agent in there to talk to him about Christ to show them what Christ looks like. And when you only do what he's telling you to do, and when you only say what he's telling you to say, then the kingdom of God starts being manifest in the kingdom of this world in a way that people look at and say, wow, why that's something. You see it? What is that? And then, even then, you still don't have license to go, well, here's what it is, I'll tell you. What you do is, how's he telling you to move? Why? Because he knows them. He knew Herod. He knew Herod's heart. He knew that like Pharaoh, Herod wasn't going to come. Pharaoh actually ends up becoming a friend of Pilate, a very evil man, even though Herod had something good happening. But God knows his heart. And do you understand what a church is supposed to be now? A church is supposed to be a body of believers, a body of people who love God, who are only doing what he tells them, shows them to do, and only saying what he tells them to say. And when we do that, it starts manifesting the things of God no matter what they are. And that becomes the thing that God is using in order to bring people that don't know him. That's what a church is supposed to look like. So we're going to do something right now. I want to start doing this master's level. I want, to start, I want to start interacting with this idea. Okay? Watch. What are some differences in how Jesus does things in the kingdom of God versus how we do them in the world? Let me, let me get the creative juices flowing in you. Some examples. The world prioritizes the high and mighty. Kingdom of God, KOG. Kingdom of God, every person has infinite value. The king is not more important than you. Jesus said in his first, when he read the scroll, God has anointed me to preach the gospel to who? The king? He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Here's another one. In the world, it's a corporate identity. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at it. In the kingdom of God, it's supposed to be a family identity. That's the marker, right? That's how we think about each other. We're family. We're connected. It's one of the reasons why I really want to say carefully, we're at a certain size right now to where it becomes harder and harder for people who are coming in to get to know people inside. I'm just putting out, I'm, I do a small group to help you get to know some new people here and so on. That starts in a couple of weeks. Come to that. It's, we used to call it your first small group. I don't know what we're calling it this year. You know, Noodle Lake Sam, whatever. But the point is, is, is reach out and, and as somebody reaches out, respond. We all are filled with social relationships and we're full up. But can I ask you to really work at is this somebody that God wants to make a connection with? Because if they're supposed to be rippling through your life, it's going to make a difference in you and them. Okay? So world is corporate. Kingdom of God is family. World's about power. Kingdom of God's about humility. I must decrease so that he can increase. That's what John says. John was the greatest guy in the whole of the Old Testament, the whole of the Old Testament time. The world likes fast growth. We build seminars on it, whether it's a business or a church or whatever it is. The world loves fast growth, and we all want to go do it. You know what the kingdom of God prioritizes? Something that can sustain. And here's the truth about growth. If it comes fast, it goes fast. But if it comes solid, 
if you take each step and you really get each step down and you really get it down in there, it becomes part of you to where it's just totally natural to you now. You're being transformed by him step by step. And it isn't a quick journey. It's a lifelong journey. And if you get it down solid, we want quick, fast. But if you'll take the time to do it right, the thing that comes hard becomes part of you. And it doesn't leave. Right? So with that said, guys, go ahead. Okay? We got two guys that are running around doing the microphones. Give, give me some thoughts on this, okay? Go to that next slide. I think you guys have got it right because you're popping over. They're going to write down a few of these ideas. Not, if yours doesn't get written down, don't take it personal. They're just trying to write down a few things to just sort of let us see something about what we're talking about. So go ahead. I know that this is kind of tough, but go ahead. Who wants to say something? Difference between kingdom of God, kingdom of the world. This is difficult, okay? You've got you to gotta flex your muscles a little bit. Kathy? Okay. Thank you, Hayden. We'll go here next. Go ahead. Always remember, by the way, we really look for people that, that don't raise their hand a lot. If I don't call on you, it's not because I don't like you. It's because maybe you've talked quite a bit, and we're trying to get people that don't always talk. If you're an introvert, I'll pay you money to talk. Okay? And you think I'm kidding? I didn't say how much, but I'll pay. <laughs> Kathy, stand up. I, I'm one of those that doesn't talk during these things. So anyway... When you were talking about growth, this has been one of the fastest growth seasons we've seen on the road in a long, long time. Wow. God's one, moving. Yeah. One particularly, we had a, a rally three weeks ago, bikers, yeah, with trikers. It's a non-Christian group. And we've been in this group for three years, and we've just been there to get to know people, to serve where they wanted us to serve, to do what they wanted us to do. And this year, for the first time, Bikers were coming out of the walls asking us questions about who we were. Awesome. And it's taken three years to get to that point where they know our name, where they come to us and ask. I had women sitting in our camper. I now, just couldn't believe it. Now, as Kathy says this, Kathy, can you give us any sort of, you know, principle that applies to this setting? We're talking about Sunday morning churches, all kinds of other places too, work and ministry and so on. But is there any... Principle, because I don't want us to just come up with some principles. I want us to come up with some ways of turning this church into what God wants it to be. Do you see it? Well, for me, and I, well, for Raj, too, I think what we try to practice, and I think this church does very well and, and could always improve, of course. is we want to be friends. Friends first. It yeah. took us a long time for them to call us friends. I think the same thing is, happens here in church. If you can... If you can involve yourself in someone's lives, I know we do with the youth. We absolutely yeah. love the youth. And, yeah, you know, good. I'm real thankful for that. But friends is the first thing. Be a that's friend. Good. Well, you know, we do a fellowship time. Uh, how many of you would like us to stop doing the fellowship time? I, I'd, I'd like to see a show of hands. Be honest right now. Okay, how many of you would really like us to stop doing the fellowship time? And thank you, Josh, for being honest. There, do you know I get emails on this on a regular basis saying, would you please stop doing that? It's so uncomfortable for me. I really hate it. What's that? Connect. The fellowship. You know why we do fellowship? You know why we haven't quit it, despite the fact that there's several people that wish that we would? And I know that it's a bit of a barrier for a new person coming in. You know why we don't? Because I can't stand, I can't stand the first week that you see somebody, hey, VJ, and we, you talk just a little bit, and you know, when you're outside in the lobby in a normal church, it doesn't connect, and, and you go, you know, that's a nice, I'd like to get to know them. Hey, we should get together. And then you go away. And then the next week, 
hey, we should get together. And then the fifth week, <laughs> I didn't get together. You see it? That's not okay. Thank you. Can I say, we do connect in here because we mean for you to connect. I'm, if, here's how, here's, here would be the best measurement of success of connect. That you, that you figured out to go to lunch with somebody and you took them out to lunch. Or you went out together, just did something. You actually made a plan to get together. Okay, let's try another one. Go ahead. You gotta stand up. Say your name. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Noah. Um, the way that we do it in the world, as far as the way I think about it is, we use too much of the most dangerous letter in our alphabet, which is I. If we could, in the kingdom of God sense of things, is more of it's you. If I'm going to use I, I want to remember that I am second. And it's about you. Okay, after church today, there will be these little circles that will start forming. Of course, we're doing something different after church, so it won't happen this time. But there, there are going to be these little, there's these little circles that will form, and you'll see ministry start to happen. Can I say something? If we would start thinking about when you come to church, what he says is everyone has a gift, a psalm, a hymn, a word, something. And what I want to say is, it, have you ever walked into church with this? What's the gift that God wants to bring through me today to somebody? Have you ever walked into church like that? That's because we have church in our head. You know what we should be walking into? A family. Somebody that you already know, you already love them. You've been praying for them through the week. And when you see him, you go, hey, I got something. When I saw Vijay today, I said to him, the first thing I said to him was, as I said, you've got to help me get together with you because I really want to get together with you. Why? Because I've been praying for him. See? So when it came time, it's time. See what I mean? Now I'm here, and I'm like, I, I, you, right? Okay. Go ahead. Who's, who's up? Who's got another one? Oh, Tammy. This is awesome. Um, the thing that came to mind for me was that, uh, like when we have a job, and uh, our boss gives us duties to do, our boss expects us to do those duties and not bother them. Our job is to figure it out. But in the kingdom of God, our job is to go to the boss, go to God in prayer, and he's supposed to give us the answer and show yeah. us what we're and supposed to do. And the cool thing is if you really do it right, he wants you to be so submitted that he's actually doing it and you're just along for the ride. It's the ultimate slacker. <laughs> it's awesome. All right, who? Go ahead and stand up. Give us your name. Hi. My name is Sandy, and this is my first time here. Lovely and to have you. I'll be back. <laughs> um, I believe that the kingdom of God, that Jesus first began by utilizing the love, that God is love, and yeah. corporate America believes in money. Yeah. That's where our power comes yeah, from. Yeah, no question. God no, comes absolutely. with Absolutely. Last week's sermon, it's just perfect. Thank you. Tamara, awesome. Got to stand up. Sorry. <laughs> I'm Tamara. And um, <laughs> I was thinking in the world, the way we do things is we make a program run and we make something happen. And whereas here at church, especially as I'm watching steering teams develop and stuff like that, the goal is to grow each person in yeah. the process and then we grow all of yeah. us 
and the program may or may not happen, but yeah. there have been relationships and growth. Yeah, for those of you who don't know Lake Sam very well right now, I am not saying this because I'm using it as an excuse, but I want to let you know that we're not well run. And we're worse well run than even we should be. But I have to tell you, one of the reasons why we're not well run is because we really do prioritize people. And we will not run over a person with a program. I mean, we just, we, we'll do, I'm not saying we've never run over anybody. There's plenty of hands that go up that we have. But I'm telling you, we work at that. We work at it. So that's really awesome. Now, as we're coming up with these ideas, I want us to be thinking, how do we integrate that into, and I'm really looking at Sunday morning. How do we make this experience here on Sunday morning different than what we've even done today? This is pretty interactive, but we want to take it even further. I saw a hand over here. Is it Barb? Oh, Barb, awesome. Hi, I'm Barb. Um, I've just noticed, like, lately, um, you know, the world wants to, uh, take our weaknesses and our failures and destroy us with it. But God uses those weaknesses and failures to build up the body and to encourage others. Amen. I'm going to do something. I'm going I'm to, we're not actually ending this, but I, I need to say a few words and then we're going to do a little thing as we end the service. I, I want to I do something. You, some of you remember that Kevin Prowlis is sitting right there. He led worship this morning. I, I went out with Kevin Prowlis, and I said to him, he's part of a barbershop. I'm retelling the story for those who didn't hear it. But he's part of a barbershop choir. Quartet, too, I think, but choir, right? And, and he's part of the choir. And I said, Kevin, you will never miss, not only not a performance, but you will never miss even a practice. Why? And he basically, this is not exactly how he said it, so if I get it wrong, you can just stand up and say he's out of his mind, but at least he said the right thing. But what he said was, he said, the thing about barbershop is, you know those really interesting harmonies? They're so intricate. Those are particular to the voice. They're not, you can't just substitute anybody else and have them sing that part. The other people who are doing harmony with you need to know your particular, the nature of your particular tonal quality and so on in order to match it and come up with the thing that creates that sort of really interesting barbershop tone. So he said, I have to be there. Because we can't grow and other people, if I'm not there, the people that need to match, that need to do that with me, can't do that. So it's not a practice. And I said, that's exactly right. Now help us build a church like that. Help us build a church that you have to be here. Not because I want you here. Not because we want to have a full house. But because we want this church to become something different. And this is the word of the day. If you, if you don't get anything else out of the sermon, I really hope you get this. Here's what I think God's trying to do with Sunday morning. He's trying to turn it into a journey. Now, let me make it clear. I think in the last few years, we've been changing up Sunday morning church that it really is a journey. I think a year ago, as I already mentioned, God started taking the reins. I mean, you know, I, th I thought he always had the reins before. But in our effort to get people up here and to really blow up the church and really do things differently, God started saying, oh, you're going to give me, let me do what I want to do? Well, I'm going to start doing what I want to do. And he started taking us to where I told you at one time after we were into it several, I said, I can't believe what God's doing. It's like every single sermon. He's just building and building and building. And, and even there, you could still miss and catch up. I want to tell you what I think God's trying to do now. I think we've entered into the master's class, the master's level. I think just hearing about the things that God is doing and then maybe remembering part of it and maybe growing a little bit isn't going to be enough. I think what he's wanting to do is he's wanting to turn Sunday morning into a time where we learn and then we make a part of, 
we make ourselves a part of it in such a deep way that what we do is we start going, I don't want to not be there because God's doing something in me. God's building something in me. Week after week, he's taking me. As we have given up the reins of programming out our church and instead letting him do whatever he wants to do, I think he wants to start taking us to where stuff starts happening on Sunday morning. And I'm not talking about weird stuff. Remember, I already outlawed that. And if something happens weird, we will pastor it. I think a lot of the reasons why churches get weird is because pastors are too afraid to pastor. And if something weird happens here, we'll deal with it. And that doesn't mean we're going to come down like a ton of bricks on you, but it does mean with love we're going to work through it and we're going to try and get to where God actually is. And that means there's going to be challenges and all that, but here's what we're going to try and do. Here's what I think he's trying to do. I think he's trying to get us to where Sunday morning in a way that is totally different than even what's happened today, and this has been pretty interactive. I think he's trying to take us to where when we come, there's something that happens not just in the learn. It's not just to learn, but there's a do that takes place here and now that starts becoming God discipling you, not only on Sunday morning, but then throughout the week. And then you come back and get another piece, and then he disciples it now so that it sticks, so that it becomes part of us, not just something we passively heard, but something we actively participated in. And then it becomes more, and then it becomes more, and then and it becomes more. The women's Bible study in Multiply is going after this exact point. The staff will be reading that book. If you're a man, you can buy the book and read it. I know that's weird and odd, but you know, but, but you catch the drift. I'm telling you, I think that, by the way, what Francis Chan is doing with Multiply, we're going to be talking about it in a little bit. You can't believe, the, the church that he's doing right now looks so different than the other church. You know one of the things he's saying? He's saying, why don't we start doing this in church? He says, no matter how good your sermon is, somebody's preached the same thing better. What if you started going and finding the person that preached it perfectly the way you want it preached? You had everybody listen to that before they came to church. And then when you came to church, you just figured out what to do about it, and you entered into it right there, right then. Now, what if that's what church was? Now, you say, oh, you could never do it. He's doing it. In the Tenderloin District of San Francisco, which if you know what the Tenderloin District means, you can just kind of, it's about meat, but it's, you know, you can get the drift. I mean, this is a phenomenal thing that they're doing, and they're totally radically changing what it is, and what, and, and all of a sudden it starts becoming something that you can't wait to be a part of. Because step by step, graciousness by graciousness, God has brought you into the fullness. God has brought you into not just the fullness because it goes on forever, but he's brought you into the ever fuller. And suddenly we start doing this, and this is what I think God wants to say to us that he wants to do with church. Now, I can tell you we're going to go slow. Some of you know me, and you're going to say, no, that's not possible with you, Kurt. But I want to tell you that I'm old, and I'm tired, and my testosterone's dropped. So my, my urgency has dropped, and I'm willing to wait on a few things that I wasn't willing to wait on in the past. But we're going to walk together, and step by step, we're going to let God turn us into whatever he wants. Is there an amen on that? Amen. Now, I want to tell you what we're going to do to close the service today. Instead of the normal thing, what we're doing is please, if you please get a bulletin out and get a pen in front of you. Okay, let me have a pen and a bulletin if you would, please. Now, if you, do, if you don't have a bulletin, raise your hands. And at the very least, even if they don't have a bulletin, they're going to bring you stock that's thick enough to where you can write on it. Now, here's what I'm asking you to do. Guys, would you, thank you for doing that, but would you go to the last one? Continue the conversation on this stuff. Go to, the, go to the, that slide that has the instructions on it, one, two, three. Thank you, guys. I know I messed you up back there. Okay? 
Oh, you're going back to mine? Okay. There you go. Thank you. Now, here's what I want you to do. On this piece of paper, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to quicken ways that we can learn more from doing and not just hearing on Sunday morning. Now, note, I'm not just talking about the church overall. If you want to have that idea on there, too, go ahead. But I'm really looking for you to wrestle for a moment in the Lord about what God wants to do with Sunday morning, this time, right here. What could we be doing differently that it would become more like a master's class? If you don't have a pen or a piece of paper, please raise your hand. Okay? At least grab one and have it in your lap so that you can pretend like you're doing it. Okay? Now, what's going to happen is, uh, Kevin, I think, is going to come up and put some music behind this. And would you pray? And then when you get an idea that you think is good and worthy and something to be considered, would you write it down? And then, as you're leaving, there's going to be an usher by the door. Would you give it to the usher? Now, I want to tell you, you guys will remember that a few weeks back, a couple months ago now, no, a month ago now, we had a meeting with a bunch of people about what we wanted to start doing with prayer on Sunday morning, and we're working. I've been working on it. We're still working on it, and we'll still have more time to talk about this. But we're going to start doing some experimenting about what to do with prayer in our service because it seems to me like the Sunday morning service ought to be four things. It ought to be worship unto God. It ought to be fellowship with one another. It ought to be a prophetic word that we master's level interact with, and there ought to be prayer in it. I think those four elements. Now, you may just come up with a fifth one. So what we're going to do is we're just going to keep working until we figure out, until we can. See, this is the body being the body. What I'm preaching about today is what I'm asking you to do right now. Take the time to write down, this is the kind of thing that would be interesting for us to try. And then we'll do some experimenting and see how it works. Okay? So we're not actually doing a close today. I'm going to pray right now for you. And when you're done, there's communion in front of you. In the lower cup is the body broken for you. In the upper cup is the blood that is... And I just want you to, when you're done and you've written something down, I want you to take that cup and say, God, make this church your church, for real. And break that, break that bread for the broken church and then take it and say, for the healing. And then just take that cup in which is his life and say, we want your life in this church. Okay? We got it? Love you. Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, your will be done. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. God, this church in one, in unison. All the, all the apostles prayed, all the people prayed when, the, when some had been arrested and they came back and they prayed in unison and the place that they were shook. And so together in one, every person in here says, God, make this church fully, completely, ever more so what you want. Do you agree with that? Say amen. Say it again. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Make this church what you want. Even right now, bring some incredible ideas to people that can get us started down this road more than we've ever even imagined. Holy Spirit, speak. Holy Spirit, move. Holy Spirit, make this your church. In Jesus' holy and precious name.